We are working our way through the epistle that God moved the apostle Peter to write. Today we come to the issue of courtesy, perhaps an unexpected issue when we're talking about suffering for Christ. I want you to picture something. I want you to picture yourself on the way to a doctor's appointment on Bay Street past the British Colonial. You're running late and you know you're going to a busy doctor and the car ahead of you stops for no reason. Stops and parks and the four doors of the vehicle go open and they are beginning to look under the car, around the car, behind the car uh, for something. And so you get out of your vehicle and you say, what's going on? And they say, our little girl threw one of our passports out the window and we're looking for a passport. And so you have a decision to make how you're going to take that blockage on your way to your doctor's appointment. What's your attitude in that going to be? Or you find yourself at the grocery store and you're in line to pay at the cashier and all of a sudden a lady cuts right in front of you in the cashier's line and stands there. And you look to see that she's wearing a collar. Excuse me. She has an injured neck and she can't really turn her head very well and Perhaps she's not seen that you were there. But anyway, nonetheless, she's cut into the line ahead of you to pay. Are you going to be okay with that? Or come April 15th, if God spares life, we're going to have our World Missions Conference banquet, a full course meal. It's free if you sign up before the 300th person signs up. And on that Sunday, you're hearing about this meal, and you're really wanting to get in on it, and you forgot to sign up for it, and you're just wondering if you can get in the EWA in time to get in the line. And you're near the back of the line, so you're a little concerned you're not going to get any food because you didn't sign up and what have you. And one of the pastors of our church comes up to you near the back of the line and says, excuse me, uh, this is the Jones family. This is their first Sunday at Calvary Bible Church, and you look at them as a husband and a wife and three children. The pastor says to you, would you mind if they step in the line ahead of you because they have to get to the airport at 1.30? What's your outlook and attitude in that? Or at work, you go to the lunchroom and you know that you have a coworker who's argumentative and can fly off the handle for no real reason and you just never know when he's going to go off. And you're in the lunchroom and this gentleman is there and so are your other coworkers and he just goes off on you for no reason just really argumentative, really aggressive with his speech. And when you go, after you think he's finished talking, you begin to reply in a calm manner, and he abruptly cuts you off and goes back into another tirade, and all in front of your coworkers. Where do you go with that? Is all well with your soul in that? As I've mentioned, this message is on courtesy and Christianity. And... I think if we're honest, we'll admit that in the scenarios I've pictured and in many other scenarios, having courtesy for people who are not being courteous to you is difficult, hard. And it's altogether too easy for all of us in those situations to look out for number one. Reminds me of the tea party. I had a little tea party one afternoon at three. "'Twas very small, three guests in all, just I, myself, and me. Myself ate up the sandwiches while I drank up the tea. "'Twas also I who ate the pie and passed the cake to me. 
it is real easy in a world which lacks courtesy, in a world wherein we are surrounded by plenty of people who don't think about anybody but themselves, it's real easy to have that tea party, me first attitude. What we're going to see in our verses for this morning is that the Lord makes a direct linkage between humility and courtesy. In the mind of God, humility and courtesy are Siamese twins. They go everywhere together. And so when we come to our passage in 1 Peter 3, verse 8, we read in verse 8, to sum up, let all be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit. There is indeed, in the mind of heaven, which is the only mind that matters, there is a direct connection between our humility and our courtesy. There was a very embarrassing incident that taught a Christian woman that. The Daily Bread writer writes, I remember reading a story about a plainly dressed man who entered a church in the Netherlands and took a seat near the front. A few minutes later, a woman walked down the aisle, saw the stranger in the place that she always sits in, and curtly asked him to leave. He quietly got up and moved to the back of the sanctuary into a section reserved for the poor. I'm so glad we don't have a section like that in this church. When the meeting was over, a friend of the woman asked her if she knew the man she had ordered out of her seat. No, she replied. Her friend then informed her that the man you ordered out of your seat was King Oscar of Sweden. He's in here visiting the queen. Of course, the woman was greatly embarrassed and wished that she had shown the king the courtesy of giving up her seat, but it was too late. He had left. Courtesy and humility go together. And in our passage for this morning, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Peter writes that he would have it that Christians like us know that the bottom line of the whole teaching of 1 Peter on sweet suffering, that is suffering for righteousness' sake, that the bottom line of that is that, excuse me, the bottom line of that is every believer is to be harmonious or like-minded that is unified in disposition. Every Christian further is to be sympathetic or compassionate, that is sharing someone else's feelings. Third, every Christian is to be brotherly or loving brothers and sisters in Christ as family. As John Calvin put it, where God is known as Father, there and only there brotherhood really exists. This passage also calls us as believers to humility and to understanding with each other that we ought to be kind-hearted or tender-hearted. That is, we are to be warm in our tenderness, which allows our, ourselves to be truly touched or moved. We, of all people, should be easily moved, easily moved by God, easily moved by his word, easily moved by people in need, easily moved. And 
the passage will continue that we who name the name of Christ, who are to be courteous and humble, that we are to be humble in spirit and humble-minded. That is to be submitted to others. That is putting others' needs ahead of our own needs. And so that is all tied together. Those five things are all tied together by chosen humility. Christian humility. Because when you and I will see others as more important than ourselves, then we can respond with the right heart backed up on Bay Street going to the doctor. We can respond with the right heart at super value when the lady cuts in front of you to pay. We can respond with the right heart at the missions luncheon in the EWA when the pastor makes that request of you. We can respond properly when in the face of interruption and rudeness and uncalled for uh, aggression in the lunchroom, we can respond with the right attitude. Robert E. Lee, the general in the Confederate Army during the Civil War, was a believer in Jesus Christ. And there was an incident during the war that General Robert E. Lee was on a passenger train riding to Richmond, Virginia. He was seated at the rear, and all of the other seats in the passenger train were filled with officers and soldiers. An elderly woman who was poorly dressed entered the train coach at one of the stations along the way, and having no seat whatsoever offered to her, she trudged down the aisle to the back of the car. Immediately, General Lee stood up and gave the woman his place. And then one after another, the soldiers arose to give the general their seats. But General Lee said, no, gentlemen. If there is no seat for this lady, there can be none for me. Being a Christian, General Lee felt that good manners demanded consideration for people of all walks of life and not merely for people of a higher rank in society. Courtesy married to humility. So far in our passage, there has been no mention of the Christian who is called to courtesy and humility experiencing adversity in life. There's no mention so far in the passage of suffering for doing what's right, but that happens all the time, doesn't it? When we do what's right, oftentimes we suffer just for doing the right thing. But we are called by Christ and his word to courtesy and kindness even when and especially when we are hurt or harmed by others. And that will take Holy Spirit control of us. Verse 9. Not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. Courtesy and humility. Not either or, both and. And so, loved ones, we who are destined for ultimate blessing to be with Jesus Christ with unbroken fellowship forever and ever and ever because you and I as redeemed people are in line for the ultimate blessing of heaven. We are to bless others now. Even and especially 
if those others mistreat us? Let me just ask you. Who would be in your life right now, today? That is hard toward you. Unreasonable with you. I want you to stop and think about that. Who is doing you evil for the last several weeks? Who is insulting you time and time and time again? That person being identified in your mind, could you, in Christ, by the Spirit of God, bless that person? Could you bless those persons? If you would be desirous of doing that, how could you bless that person? How could you bless, bless that per, those persons? I don't know, but God knows. And if you were to ask God in prayer, how can I bless John Doe? How can I bless my professors at the university? God would be faithful to show you concrete ways that you could bless those who are against you. In a Haitian church somewhere, there was a wooden plaque, and it said, love is an active verb. So it is. Love's not a feeling. In the first church I pastored, it was in a little town of 4,800 people. And the church I pastored was relatively young as a congregation in that town. The other mainline churches were established there for hundreds or more years. And our little church was a, a new church plant, maybe 25 years old. At one point, the only show in town, I shouldn't say that, the only place to worship in this little town was the Roman Catholic Church. And so when... Our evangelical uh, church was birthed 25 years previous. The Roman Catholic priest did his part to spread throughout the town that we were a cult. I pastored that church in that town for uh, nine years. Near the end of of that, there was an issue that uh, came up that I wrote a private letter to the clergy of the town. I, I addressed the letter to each clergyman in that town. I think it was seven or eight clergy. Private letter. Same letter to each. It was a letter that, if you didn't understand the context of why I wrote, that you could misunderstand and see our church in a negative light. It wasn't accurate to do that. But what I heard was that the Catholic priest took my personal letter written to him and the other clergy, and he read it to the congregation. He wanted to divide our congregation amongst itself, and he also wanted to divide our church to our community. He meant it for harm. So he was an older priest, and uh, he took sick. He took seriously sick. And he was in the local hospital. And I had a choice. I had a choice to not do anything about that 
or to pray for his healing and to go to minister the word of God to him in the hospital. The Spirit of God led me to do the latter, not the former. And so as I went into the priest's hospital room and told him that I was praying for him to recover and that I came to read the scriptures with him and to pray for him, would that be all right? He was so appreciative. Courtesy hangs around with humility. It does in a pastor's life, and it also does in the people of God's lives. It was Corey Tenboom who survived the Holocaust who said, quote, our critics are unpaid guardians of our souls. Our critics are unpaid guardians of our souls. I've had plenty of critics in my life. Probably each of you has as well. You know, sometimes God sends us critics so that we can learn things we wouldn't otherwise learn from people that love us. There's a Yiddish proverb, Jewish proverb, that says, if one man calls you a donkey, don't pay it any mind. But if two men call you a donkey, get yourself a saddle. (laughs) Sometimes our critics are sent to us by the Lord to do a heart checkup, a cardiac, cardiac checkup, our spiritual hearts, to see the heart's condition. Are we humble? Are we courteous to our critics? I pray that I will go from this place and that you all will go from this place this new week committed to loving and blessing the person or the people who came to mind as you were thinking about who are my antagonists? Who are my critics? Who are my opponents? When verse 9 commands us not to return insult for insult, God is warning us not to spread bad reports. You've heard the expression? Bad news travels faster than good news. Bad reports travel further flung than good reports. When Beth and I waited tables at a Dallas, Texas restaurant, a family restaurant, they would have staff meetings periodically, and the staff would be called together, the cooks and the busboys and the hostesses and the wait people, and we'd have meetings. And one staff meeting stood out to me more than the rest. They got us all together, and the manager said there have been studies done in the restaurant industry, and the studies show that for every customer a restaurant satisfies, they tell three to four people. But for every customer a restaurant dissatisfies, they tell eight to ten people. Because it's easy for us to spread bad reports if we feel insulted at a restaurant, to go around and insult the restaurant to others. God says, don't do that. Verse 9, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead for you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. Family, one of the hallmarks of the spirit-filled and controlled Christian is that that person does not spread bad reports to others. 
And so watch your tongue, Rob Elliott. Watch your tongue. Maybe you can relate. Uh, Verses 10 through 12 quote Psalm 34. For let him who means to love life and see good days refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking guile, and let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears attend to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. I see three truths out of this quote from Psalm 34 that will help us to be courteous and humble. Ready? Truth one. Our speech helps determine the level at which we enjoy life. Whoa. Our speech helps determine the level at which we enjoy life. Isn't that what verse 10 is saying? For him who means to love life and see good days, refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking guile. Proverbs 15.1, many of you know what that says. A gentle answer turns away wrath. The rest of the verse says, if we don't have a gentle answer, then harsh words stir up strife. Our speech helps determine the level at which we enjoy life. That's huge. Second truth. In order to chase down peace, we must turn away from evil in favor of doing good. In order to pursue peace, peace with our mate, peace with our children, peace with our grandchildren, peace with our supervisor at work, peace with our coworkers at work, peace with our neighbors, peace with our brothers and sisters in Christ in this assembly. In order for any of us to chase down peace, we must turn away from evil in favor of doing good. Verse 11, and let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek, pursue, chase, peace, and pursue it. In order to chase down peace, we must turn away from evil in favor of doing good. That's hard work. That's countercultural. Now, in case you doubt that to find peace, you have to pursue it diligently, I want you to go to the nursery of our church, the toddler area, and let's say there are 10 toddlers there and there is one toy. See how that works out. Amen, I heard an amen. (laughs) Doing good... And being a peacemaker is work, it's hard work, it's sacrificial work, it is opportunistic work. Chasing down peace is finding the intersection of inclination and opportunity to be humble and courteous. And every day in your lives, there will be an intersection of opportunity to be courteous and inclination. Will the two intersect? If they will, Christ will be honored. Third truth, God is for the righteous 
against the evil. God is for the righteous and against the evil. Verse 12, for the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his ears attend to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Of course, your Lord and mine watches every moment of your life. His eye is on the sparrow. And I know he watches me. It's true. The Lord's eye is watching every move in our lives with love. He listens to our every prayer with wisdom. And his face, in contrast, is against those who have postured themselves against him and against his ways, against his word. And there is a rather sobering fact in the second part of verse 12, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And so today, in the context of living victoriously while facing opposition, 1 Peter, in the context of being willing to sweetly suffer, suffer for the sake of doing what's right, in those contexts... God calls you and me to courtesy and humility because the two go hand in hand. In closing this message, of course, there is no finer example of courtesy married to humility than the Lord Jesus. Isaiah 53, 7. He was oppressed and was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shearers. If you want to think about taking this message with you and obeying this message and putting shoe leather to this message, think about Jesus. Think about his humility and think about his courtesy (laughs) even to Pontius Pilate. Lord, your word is so practical and we are in such need of it. Forgive me, Lord, when I have not been properly courteous. Maybe that's your prayer, too. Forgive me, Lord, when I have not been properly humble. Maybe that's your prayer, too. Lord Jesus, thank you for your perfect example of humility and how it expressed itself even in the context of the one who would sentence you to death by crucifixion. We pray these things in Jesus' precious name together and for his glory, amen.